Well, I want us this evening to look at John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. John 14, verses 2 and 3. At uh, Hebron, in Daulis, we're, we're working our way through these chapters, John 13 through to John chapter 17 on Sunday evenings. Uh, sometimes when you preach away, your sermons all get mixed up. I can remember being here many years ago and uh, Omri Jenkins was preaching. In the morning he preached and he said, the Christian faith is built on three planks. And that was his sermon in the morning. The evening sermon began with, I forgot the third plank. Okay, so it can happen to the best of preachers. Uh, But as I was driving home, I forgot a whole section this evening that would have made the last bit make make sense. But that's gone now, the moment is gone. Uh, But this evening I will be more disciplined and just stick to verses 2 and 3 of John chapter 14. So look at these verses, John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." When we first got married, we moved, I say London, it was kind of really Essex, but about 15 minutes on the train you could be in central London. It was a part of the world uh, that I didn't know at all. And so I got myself, the days before smartphones and uh, clever technology, I got myself an A to Z. And uh, I was a geography teacher, so I love a good map anyway. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find out where I was. Where are we in relation to everywhere else. I wanted to get my bearings. I wanted to know what my new home, never really felt like home actually, uh, but I wanted to know what that place felt like, where I was, what is this place like. As a Christian, your home is with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is with God. That is your home. Do you ever think about that place? I was scouring an A to Z. I want to know what this place is like. Do you scour the Bible? Life, what is life? What does the writer in Ecclesiastes say? It is but a vapor. It is gone in a moment. It's a breath. That's your life. Perhaps some of you at a certain age can nod your head to that. Life has passed by so quickly. Life has been so quick. But eternity, that's what you look to, and that is home. And as we come into John 14, as we just look at these verses tonight, Jesus' disciples are troubled. They are troubled because back in chapter 13 and verse 33, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. He is going. He will not be with them for much longer. They will stay, and he is going. And he says to them, he follows that with, where I am going, you cannot come. So what is their comfort? Their comfort is, chapter 13 is followed quickly by chapter 14. They can't come yet, but they will come. They must persevere, they must follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they must do the work that he has given them to do. They cannot come yet. But they will come. Uh, They have much to do. Uh, If you're a Christian tonight, 
then you can think about this. You can think about all that you must yet do. There are things for you to do if you are a Christian. We have this assurance in Ephesians chapter 3 that the Lord Jesus Christ has distributed gifts to his church. There is no such thing as a Christian who has no gift. You have yet something to do. That's why you're still here. But whatever you yet have to do, and whatever you might yet have to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do it in the shadow of John chapter 14, of what is yet to come. So I want us to consider these verses. I think the best way to approach them, and perhaps I'll say something about this later, is Jesus really is given a simple encouragement about the future. What is the future? They are troubled. He is going away. But this is the encouragement. He is going away for them, from them for a purpose. Why is he going? Well, he tells us in verse 2 that he is going to prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare a place. Uh, when I first went to university, no, actually, in my, in my second year, I had a, a university house, and I got there, and my friend had got there before me. My good friend, Ian Middlemist, had got there before me, and uh, he said to me, don't worry, your room's okay, I've given it a shaken vac. Okay, so do you remember that advert that used to be on the television? I'm not really sure what shaken vac was, but you'd, you'd shake some powder out, I think, and then put the vacuum clean around, and the carpet would smell lovely and fresh. He, he sprinkled something around the room in order to make it clean. And now on a Tuesday night in Hebron, we're working our way through the epistle to the Hebrews. And Hebrews 9 verse 12 says this, it's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says this, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ has entered into the holy places. So the, the earthly tabernacle in the Old Testament was a picture of a heavenly reality. There is a place, the dwelling place of God. And uh, we read at the end of our reading tonight in Revelation 21, we read that nothing that defiles will ever enter into that place where God is. Do you remember that old children's hymn? There is a city bright, closed are its gates to sin. Nought that defileth, nought that defileth can ever enter in. How can I, how can you, ever enter into the place where God is. He is clean. Nothing is allowed to enter into his presence that defiles. Well, our hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has gone ahead. He has, he has made clean by his blood. His blood is given so that his people might enter in. And so Jesus says here in verse 2, he says, "...in my Father's house are many rooms." The rooms already exist. In what sense then has Jesus gone ahead to prepare a place? Well, his very leaving of the disciples, in a sense, is the preparation. How can the disciples enter into the, the rooms in heaven, or the mansions as we have here in the, in the New King James? They are there. How can they enter in? Because Jesus goes. It's because he goes to the cross 
Remember where we were this morning. His hour has come. Because his hour has come, because his blood is shed, that is how we can enter in to the holy place where he is. That little hymn goes on. It says, Saviour, I come to thee. O Lamb of God, I pray, cleanse me and save me. Cleanse me and save me. Wash all my sins away. Uh, This is the story of the Bible from the very beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They rebel against God. And then they are cast out of that place. And the way is guarded so that they cannot go back in. And so it is, we are barred from heaven. And the way back to God from the dark paths of sin is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his blood. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, your entry into heaven, the song of heaven we've just sung, is yet not I, but through Christ in me. Uh, there, is, there is no entry, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was in school, my PE teacher told us that if we turned up to Cardiff Arms Park on a particular Saturday afternoon, and we got to the gate, and we said, Mr. Charles has said we can come in, the gate would be opened. And so we did it, and we got there, and we said, Mr. Charles has said we can come in, and the steward said, Prince Charles isn't here today. And so I spoke up, no, Mr. Charles from school, he said we can come in, and the gate was opened. Why can you come in? Is it because you've paid the price? No, he's made things possible. It's through what he has done. A price must be paid. The wages of sin is death. Not that defileth can ever enter in, but he's paid the price of sin. It's on the basis of what he's done that I may enter in. And so the Lord Jesus Christ has gone ahead. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go. Why do you go? Why are you leaving us? Unless I leave you, they are full of sorrow, they're full of worry, but unless I leave you, there will be no place for you. He prepares the place in his death. It's by his death that we are able to enter in. And so the place where we are going, what is this place like? Look at the description here. It's described as the Father's house. We will be where God is himself is where he is well what a place that must be Uh, I've been quite taken over the last couple of years with uh, the last Narnia book by C.S. Lewis the last battle and it keeps cropping up in sermons Uh, but these children they go to Narnia they return to Narnia but then the old Narnia falls apart and a door appears they go through the door and they go into a new Narnia It looks much the same as the old Narnia, but this is how they describe it. This boy Eustace says this. He says, I bet there isn't a country like this anywhere in our world. Look at the colors. You couldn't get a blue sky like the blue on those mountains in our world. And then C.S. Lewis goes on and writes this. This was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. One of the creatures in the story says this, I have come home at last. 
This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Where you are going, it will be home. There will be a sense that you have arrived at the place where you you always belonged. The place I was made for, the place I was destined for, since before this world was made. Because I was known by him in eternity. And home gives us a sense of security, doesn't it? If you've ever been away, you've been away and uh, maybe things have been difficult and you've had a difficult time away, but then you come home and you're with your family and there's something secure about that. I'm safe here. Well, it might be, you might feel tonight, you've never really known a home where you feel safe. Well, there is a home where you will be secure forever. It will be the home of your heavenly Father. And this is the destiny of the Christian. Uh, There's another little bit in that book by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Two of the children describe how they feel in this new place that they call Aslan's country. And C.S. Lewis writes this. Isn't it wonderful, said Lucy? Have you noticed one can't feel afraid, even if one wants to? And then the other child tries it. Oh, yes, you're right. I can't feel afraid. Perhaps there are things giving you trouble tonight. Your heart is troubled. The Lord Jesus Christ has just said to his disciples, verse 1 there in chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, You can look back in chapter 12 and you can read about Jesus himself being troubled. Jesus was troubled? Ah, but this is the point. He was troubled by the prospect of the cross. He was going to the cross, and there he would bear the wrath of God upon himself. There he would would say those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And can we ever plumb the depths of what that meant for the Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father? He was troubled, but he was troubled that we might be free from trouble. He took trouble that we might know freedom from trouble. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe my words. Believe what I'm saying to you now. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled because you now have this assurance. If God has given you his Son then why would you think he will not also give you all things? All things, all security is now yours because here is the evidence of his love for you. He's given his son. He's given his son so that one day you too might be where I am going. Let that be your assurance. Read on in verse 2, Jesus says, In my father's house, I'm reading from the ESV now. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. In the reading tonight, we had in my Father's house, from the New King James, are in my Father's house are many mansions. And uh, we often think, don't we, I, I prefer a mansion to a room. That sounds, that sounds much better. And my father grew up in a, in a prefab in Riedervelin, and my grandmother always used to say it was her favorite house. 
And uh, you go to St. Fagans and you have a look at the, uh, the prefab there. That's the house. How was that your favorite house? Where did you live before? Ah, well, we lived in rooms. We had some rooms in, in someone else's house. Okay, so rooms does seem a bit of a downgrade from a mansion or from a house. But the authorized version in the New King James, it puts the word mansions here because that was similar to a Latin word Jerome used. Who's Jerome? Well, he's someone who translated the Bible into Latin in the fourth century, the Latin Vulgate. He used this word, um, mansiones, or if, you, if you've got good Latin, you can correct my pronunciation afterwards. Uh, but that word in Latin simply meant a resting place. In other words, the word has a very different association than what we think of now when we think of a mansion. Now, we might think it would be lovely to have a mansion. But I, I remember reading an article not that long ago, probably about the time of the coronation, King Charles. And they were talking about how King Charles, he doesn't really like Buckingham Palace. Why would you want to live there? However many bedrooms it's got, it's just so big and drafty. It's not a home. It's just a big old house. When we drove down to chapel tonight, we drove down there. Victoria Road in Fleur-de-Lis, which I'm, I'm sure nobody knows. Uh, but uh, on the side of the road there, there's a, there's a huge house that's been built. Uh, and it's, it's ridiculously big. It, it looks out of place. I don't know who lives there, who's built it. Um, it it's completely different to any other house in Fleur-de-Lis, in Flower. And uh, there it is, this huge house. And it's got a huge wall, so you can't get in. That's a mansion, isn't it? I live in a mansion... This is my house, and it has a sense that you're not welcome. Okay, big gates, little buttons by the side of the gate. This is my castle, you're out there, I'm in here. Now, why am I going on about mansions? Because the picture we're given here is not really the picture of a mansion. A mansion in the sense of a place that's big and my place uh, my personal space, as it were, I've got all of this stuff to myself. Rather, the word is simply rooms or dwelling places or resting places or lodging places, something like that. The picture is rather the ancient picture of the house of a patriarch, the father of a family. Okay, here's the father of a family. He's got his children. And in time, his children have families of their own. And so what does he do? He builds more rooms onto his house. Here is a family dwelling. He builds rooms so all of his family can come and live with him. In other words, it's not an isolated mansion. This is a, a home that keeps growing so that everyone who is part of it can be with the one who is head of that house. You will live with the Father. That's the point. In my father's house are, are many mansions or many rooms. You will be part of his household. The dwelling place of God is with his people. That's the joy of heaven. If your concept of heaven is simply a place of luxury, where you will enjoy self-indulgence and your own luxury in a huge mansion of your own, then that is not the Bible's picture of heaven. 
Rather, it is to be with God himself. Is your longing for him that you love the Lord and you want to be with him? Look on into verse 3. Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And now let's, let's have a bit of, of doctrine. What does the Bible teach us about death and so on? Well, after death, the Bible does speak of life with God when we are absent from the body. Okay, so the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he describes being hard-pressed between the two. That is, hard-pressed between life and death. To die, he says, is better, for it is to be with Christ. Philippians 1 verse 23. The alternative, he says, is to remain in the flesh. Philippians 1 24. But he's writing about life after death and being with Christ, a being with Christ that is not in the flesh, that is absent from the body. And so the Bible does teach that when we die, we we will be without the body, but we will be with the Lord. Elsewhere, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, he writes about being away from the body and at home with the Lord. Uh, so again, a being with the Lord that is without the body. Uh, think of, as well about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the thief on the cross. What does he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, Jesus' body today on that Friday is, is put in a tomb. But he says today you will be with me in paradise. And so there is a being in the presence of God that is without the body. But the Bible does teach, doesn't it? Very clearly, a day will come and the Lord Jesus Christ will return and there will be a resurrection of the dead. And for those who belong to the Lord, there will be a new body and there will be a being with the Lord that is a a physical body being with the Lord. When Christ returns, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who are with him now without the body, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 14. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Believers who have died will know bodily resurrection. And those who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. So that's the big picture. What does Jesus here say? Well, he does really, doesn't he? He gives an assurance of his second coming. He says, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Are you living in expectation of that? The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. He is coming. Are you living your life in that light? Are you thinking to yourself, every moment of every day, every decision I make, it is made on this basis that I belong to him. That all of history is, is going to come to an end. Time will end. And Jesus will return. And he will take his people to be with himself. What does Paul call it in Titus 2 verse 13? He calls it our blessed hope. 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Famous preacher died recently, Eric Alexander. I once read an illustration of his, or I read a sermon, and in the sermon he used this particular illustration. He talked about um, Westminster Abbey in London. He was preaching at a conference in London, and he told those who were gathered that the last time he had been in London, there was scaffolding all over Westminster Abbey. But now he was back, the scaffolding was down, and he could see the building. And this was his illustration. His point was this. Every event that happens in human history is scaffolding that is put up in order to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day the scaffolding will come down and everyone will see what God was doing. That in Christ he was, he was building his church. The whole purpose of, of everything that was happening was serving that great thing. That all of his people would be gathered in. Now, does that encourage you tonight? You might be confused about many things that are happening in the world. You might be, you might be depressed over the state of the church, the state of the larger church, the state of the church in Wales and in the United Kingdom, in Western Europe. You might long for better days, as it were. But Christ is building his church, and every event that happens is serving this great purpose. Work is taking place, as it were, that we can't see, but one day the scaffolding will come down and we will see what it was all about. That Christ has built his church and his people will meet him when he returns. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. A day is coming, a day for judgment. On that day, what kind of day will that be for you? If you were without Christ, well, the offer's being made now. There is salvation in Him. That day can be a day of joy. You can know that all your sin has been taken and dealt with by Him and washed clean by His blood. You can know that if you go to him, if you ask him, if you trust him, if you put your confidence in him to save you. But that day will be a fearful day. It will be a day of judgment when those who do not know him as redeemer will know him as judge. And Jesus says here, I will come again and will take you to myself. It will be a day of joy for his people because Jesus is coming so that we might be with him. That's why he is coming, to take us to be with him. There are many blessings, aren't there, when we consider all of that. Uh, I've already said it will be a place where there will be no more fear. We take comfort from Revelation 21. It's the place where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Someone has translated as that as as he will take tears out of our eyes, okay? as if the very tear ducts are removed. No more sorrow. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, all of that is wonderfully true. But the emphasis here is the Lord himself. 
I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And uh, in the hymns we've sung tonight and uh, in the reading, that's been the emphasis, that we will be where he is, that he is the attraction, if, it, uh, if I can put it like that. Uh, Revelation 21, from verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as they are God. The emphasis is God himself. And that's the emphasis here. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says, I will come again and will take you to myself. Now think of that passage. I'm sure you're familiar with it in Matthew 25, where there is a separation. Jesus will say to some, he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There's relationship, isn't there? I don't know you. I don't know who you are. But those who will come in are those who know him. They know him now. He is familiar to them. They are familiar to him. They are ones who, who call on him, who speak to him, who walk with him every day. It would be a strange thing, isn't it? wouldn't it, if on that day he would welcome in people and these are the people who know him. But it would be strange, wouldn't it, if those same people are are people who, who don't pray, who have no longing to be with his people now and sing in his praise. You see, there is, there is evidence, isn't there, of an inward knowledge of God. There is an outward evidence. We see it. Where is your love now? Where is your heart? Do you love him? Do you walk with him? Do you know him? Do you wake up and say when morning gilds the skies, may Jesus Christ be praised. Uh, last Sunday night we had uh, a young man give his testimony in our evening service. I think some of you might know him actually. I think he came to a curry night or something like that recently here. And uh, he, he spoke about the most moving part of his testimony was when he said this, that now he wakes up and he's got something to do. You see, before, well, well, his life was a life of addiction, heroin addiction, and a life of crime to feed that addiction. But that just moved me when he said, I wake up now, and there's things I want to do. It's morning, and because I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, because I walk with him, because I can read his word, and, and I can say all that thrills my soul is Jesus, I have a king to serve got something to do do you have a living relationship with the Lord because heaven is where he is his new creation the thrill of it is him that he will be there and let me give this little illustration I might have given it before because it's one of my favorites but I'm sure I probably haven't given it in your presence uh, there's a, an evangelist called Andy Bannister, and he was, uh, I think he's based up in Scotland, but he was on a platform somewhere debating the Christian faith. And on the stage with him was a Muslim. But really, that Muslim could have been a professing Christian of some description, 
who had a particular view of heaven. The person chairing the discussion asked both men, what are you most looking forward to heaven? What's exciting you about that place? What are you really looking forward to about it? And the Muslim said this, when I get there, it will be perfect. And I can't wait to get on the basketball court because I will be able to shoot hoops from anywhere on the court and they'll go in. Wonderful. Now life is full of imperfection. I shoot and sometimes I miss. But then there will be perfection. Well, the evangelist replied with this. Very well. But won't you get bored? Okay, after the first 10 minutes, I can't miss. What am I going to do next? You see, for him, and this was the point he made, for me, the thrill will be God dwelling in the midst of his people. I will be their God. They will be my people. And if we can put it this way with the greatest of reverence, we will never get bored of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is infinite in his worth. We will never grow bored of plumbing the depth of our salvation. Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us that now we already possess every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean we fully understand them. It doesn't mean we've, we've seen the length and breadth of them as it were. Uh, there will be all of eternity, uh, which will be too short to plumb the depth of his infinite worth. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as they are God. I'm sure you've heard this before, but uh, let me read you the last paragraph of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. He writes this. The things that began to happen after that, okay, so the children have entered into the new Narnia. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Now this life is a breath. Your life now you might have reached a good age, but it's only been the cover and the title page. And there is eternity to be with him. Uh, we might be frightened as people in this world. Uh, we might sometimes just want to get away from things. Uh, the world is a hard place to live in. But we, we're not to be afraid and uh, we're told here the end of the story at the end of the story, being with the Father, being with the Lord Jesus Christ, having a room in this great house. I remember on holiday once, we had a, an audio book on in the car, okay? So, very cultured, English literature in the car. 
I, I don't think it was a very cultured book, actually, but there was one chapter that the children wanted again and again. And so what story do you want this time? Let's have that one again. And as a parent, you're, you're a bit fed up with that one. But no, it had to be that one. Give us that one again. Now, don't ever grow bored of scouring your A to Z or, or looking at your, your Bible to see what eternity has in store, to see that it is to be with him. And, and never lose your excitement of each and every day waking up, reading your Bible, and saying your prayers, and cultivating your relationship with him. I made this point this morning, and I don't want to be misunderstood, but there is our justification. We are right with God, dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But there is this element as well, that we are adopted into his family, and therefore we are in a relationship. Uh, I meant to make the point this morning, this is the bit I left out, uh, that in John's Gospel, uh, there is that uh, section we read it this morning, what did Jesus mean uh, when he said those words to Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Okay, so we don't need to, to wash our whole bodies again, as it were, but we do need that confession of sin. And the reason I took the approach I did is because in, in 1 John chapter 1, John writes to Christians, but then he says, if we say we are without sin, the truth is not in us. And if we do sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're in a relationship. You can be out of step. The Apostle Paul writes about keeping in step with the Spirit. It was a phrase used in, in formation dancing, Greek formation dancing. You can be out of step. If you're out of step in a dance, the dance goes badly. You keep in step in your walk with the Lord by obedience. And when we sin, we grieve the Lord. Or spend your life, spend your life every moment to live Him, live for Him. Walk humbly in His sight. Now, don't live a pretense. He knows it all. He knows all about you. Now, don't play life as if it's a game. You're on the stage pretending to be something or someone you're not really. It's a waste of time. The one you know, the one you will be with for all eternity knows you. Live your life humbly in his sight and do all you can to live to his praise and glory. We'll sing a hymn, 812. 812. I saw... A new vision of Jesus and uh, the last words of uh, the last verse. Our God is the end of the journey, his pleasant and glorious domain, for there are the children of mercy who praise him for Calvary's pain. We'll stand to sing.
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.